Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. This is the elections edition where I bring you different candidates from all parties that are running in this year's federal election in Canada. My guest today is Annie Koutrakis. She is the outgoing member of parliament and candidate for the Liberal Party of Canada for the writing of Vimy. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Koutrakis, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. Uh, like I was telling you before we, uh, we we recorded, I know exactly what half an hour means in a campaign or whatever, 20, 40 minutes, whatever. I don't know however long this is going to take. I'll try and uh, we'll try and keep it short, but I know exactly what that time represents during a campaign. So I really, really appreciate uh, the time that you're taking. Thank you so much, George, uh, for uh, having me on your show. I look forward to our conversation. And yes, you're right. Uh, you know, in business, I always just say time is money. Now, during the campaign, I say, you know, time equals votes. <laughs> so exactly. being, you know, you know, going out there and uh, making sure that uh, the community is engaged and, uh, you know, getting out there and spreading the word and, you know, just reminding people the good work that uh, I've tried to do as a rookie MP. Uh, you know, my, uh, yep. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned the rookie, uh, the rookie MP, and I want to talk about that because this is, like you said, it's it's your first mandate, rookie uh, mandate, and, and it happened with so many obstacles, so many, you know, so much adversity. I remember the the, the 2019 election. You came in at a time like it was maybe one or two weeks before the the, the start of the campaign. There was a lot of controversy because Justin Trudeau had. Uh, uh, had put out the incumbent MP at that time and you came in. So there was an issue over there. I know that there was a problem with the local association. And for those who don't know, federally, they control the funds for a campaign. So there was a little bit of a roadblock over there. Uh, definitely not the way you want to start uh, in politics. And then as soon as the election ends, you come in, it's your first mandate. And then boom, COVID-19 uh, happens and you're found uh, uh, to be part of a government that has to deal with one of the biggest health crises that we've seen in at least our recent history. Uh, take us Since back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take us back to this, uh, this first mandate. Like what, what do you, what do you take away from it? Uh, you know what, if there was ever a, a steep learning curve and where I had to hit the ground running real quickly, it was uh, my experience as a rookie MB, MP and how I was introduced to, to you know, the next leg of my journey called life. Uh, yeah, it was unfortunate uh, that, uh, you know, my nomination uh, uh, came in or was announced the way that it was. There was controversy surrounding the previous MP in the Vimy riding, but it had nothing to do with me. Uh, you know, I was announced, the party uh, nominated me officially September 8th, and the writ for the elections of 2019 was dropped on uh, uh, September 11th. Uh, at that point, I didn't have a campaign manager, I didn't have volunteers, I didn't have, you know, an office, a campaign office. So, uh, you know, just to circle back to the controversy, uh, one good thing came out of that. My name became well-known nationally 
from coast to coast to coast simply because of the story on the Globe and Mail. And uh, so, you know, I quickly became known, you know, maybe not for all the reasons that I wanted to be known, uh, introduced as a, a rookie MP or a first time, first time candidate. But hey, you take, uh, you know, the publicity any way you can, really. Um, for me, 2019 was um, such a change in, in my life. You know, 2019 was a big year for me professionally. Uh, in uh, March 2019, I had received a great promotion at uh, the company that I was working, uh, having gone from, you know, assistant branch manager to vice president branch manager. I was managing teams of, you know, portfolio managers, uh, more than 100. Uh, then, you know, I don't know how many people who are listening to us will know I was elected a few months after that in June in 2019 as the first woman uh, of, Hel uh, you know, for the Hellenic Greater Montreal Presidency. Um, and that was such a great uh, honor for me. I was so excited. I, I had my plan in place. I was going to, you know, share with our community the vision. And then I had, you know, a meeting um, that changed my life in July of 2019. And hence, as a result of that meeting, uh, I had, you know, became the candidate and went on to win in October 2019. Um, being a rookie MP is, um, you know, and especially with COVID having hit us, I didn't have the opportunity to learn from, you know, MPs that had been there, you know, colleagues for a long time. Because, you know, when you're in Ottawa and you visit the lobby in the house, there's so much exchange and so many, you know, great, valuable learnings that you could, you know, tap on a minister's shoulder and say, hey, you know, how did you handle this? This is, you know, one of the issues that is really uh, an issue issue for me in Vimy. Um, I didn't have that opportunity, you know. Uh, um, so everything was on Zoom. Uh, everything changed. A few months later, uh, on the personal side, um, I lost my mom. It was quite sudden in March 2020. So my mom passed away March 4th, 2020. And then we had the lockdown of March 13th. I did not go back to the house uh, until probably the last week in um, the first week in December, actually, and before we rose for the Christmas holiday. So as you can imagine, so many, you know, having come from the corporate world into a new world and having to deal with, you know, a change in life, um, losing my mom. Uh, and I'm an only child, George. So, you know, as an only child, losing your mom and, you know, my father is going to be 90 next month. So talk about sandwich generation, right? Right, right. A lot of challenges, a lot of challenges. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I've been, I've been, I spent a lot of time around politicians and especially new politicians coming in. And one of the main challenges uh, for new politicians is this sudden change in their lifestyle where they have to you know, abandon their life in whatever city or district they're from, uh, go to the parliament. I mean, in, in your case, there, to think that there's people coming from all across the country. Uh, I mean, we're lucky because, I mean, Ottawa isn't that far, right? Uh, but there are people that are coming all the way from BC, <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like yeah. The northern part of Canada. So, and I've, the experience that I have is that a lot of these individuals have had a hard time coping with this sudden change in their lifestyle. Uh, and, I mean, it's difficult to see it positively because, I mean, you're dealing with COVID-19 and you have all these things to deal with. But at the same time, the fact that 
especially for people like you who were rookies uh, in this first mandate, you didn't have to really feel this abrupt change in your lifestyle because you had that opportunity to work from home. Uh, do you think that that pretty much helped you kind of ease through this transition? The fact that you were in a much more comfortable setting and there were all these solutions that suddenly had to pop up in order to, uh, to make sure that your job was going to be accomplished. Actually, that's a great question, George, because I thought about that. Uh, yes, I think in many ways, uh, having the opportunity to work from home uh, made me a more effective and a more efficient rookie MP, I would say, because fortunately, I was able to set up my constituency office because I moved it. So as soon as we set it up at the end of January, early February of 2020, uh, my team was in place. I have an amazing team. I have a team of about uh, six people. Two of them look after immigration cases only, and everyone else is pretty much, you know, um, helping me to be, you know, as uh, the best MP as I can be. Um, having been able to work from home, uh, I was more present because, you know, technology affords you that. Uh, I'm also a member of the finance committee. Uh, so last summer, not, not this current summer, but last summer, we were dealing with, you know, the We Charity. Uh, being a member of the finance committee, I didn't stop working at all. We were working, you know, sometimes six, seven hours a day, five days a week just to get through that. Yeah. So I think, you know, um, it did afford me a work-life balance. I know that for many of my colleagues, uh, as you mentioned, from out west, um, oftentimes parliamentarians have said, you know, maybe the House shouldn't be sitting on a Monday or the Friday, because many of those people, when the House is, is you know, uh, in, in, in session and they have to return home every weekend. I mean, could you imagine having to fly out, you know, uh, Sunday night for many of them or Sunday afternoon only to go back, you know, sometimes the end of the week on a Friday and come back on a Sunday. So I think in many ways, um, as challenging as it was not to be able to work physically together uh, with our teams and our colleagues, I think that uh, for me, it was um, a blessing in many ways as well, because, you know, I was able to have the support of my spouse who, you know, Jerry, he's retired. And I mean, he eats policy. So if there was anybody that felt so supported, you know, from by someone who lives with me uh, is me. So, you know, in that regard, yes, I was very lucky in that in that way. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the elections. Um your party is getting widely criticized for launching a campaign at the beginning of what seems to be a fourth wave. Mm -hmm. um, what are you telling your constituents? I mean, you mentioned that you're going around and meeting as many people as possible. It's obviously what you need to do during a campaign. Uh, what are you telling them, uh, you know, especially the constituents that are wondering if this is the responsible thing to be doing right now? You're right. And that is one of the questions. And, and the thing that I share with them is my experience, you know, uh, in my committee work. Uh, the truth of the matter is, and, and anyone that's, you know, uh, politically active like you and, and me, uh, you know, minority governments typically last anywhere between 15 and 18 months. So we're at about 19 months. So, you know, we've surpassed. Uh, initially with the COVID, I have to tell you, I was quite 
press to see how everybody, all the parties together, it was a Team Canada effort. And we were able to step up and, you know, roll out the support programs that Canadians needed most. I mean, you know, everybody was afraid. They were afraid for their families, health, you know, and security first most. As time went by, though, you know, COVID became quite politicized. And unfortunately, you know, committees stopped working. Uh, the parliament stopped working. Uh, if you recall, budget 2021, and we worked very hard on the finance committee to make sure that we were able to, you know, present our report to the House of Commons for debate and, and, and you know, to vote it through so that it goes to the Senate for further debate uh, before it receives royal assent. And I mean, you know, uh, there was so much filibustering, there was so many delays, uh, debates on issues that, you know, Canadians really did not vote us to go there to waste time. They voted us to go to the House to work for them. And if we don't pass a budget, I mean, forget about, you know, any uh, emergency support programs, all other programs that have been in place stop as well, because you don't have the right as a government to continue, you know, uh, paying out programs. The budget then becomes the law, as you know. Um, so the budget was only voted in uh, through the House on June 23rd, which was the last day. So when you see how quickly it deteriorated, you know, the, the, the work atmosphere and the important work that we have to do, well, you know, how much longer can a, a minority government with this kind of toxic work environment continue? I mean, nothing was getting done. Yeah. You mentioned about politicizing the, 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 the pandemic. I, I, I think I've definitely seen this, but am I wrong to assume that your 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 party is pushing hard at making the management of this pandemic the ballot question i don't i wouldn't say that george i think that it's one of the questions i mean we're very cognizant of the fact that there's a fourth wave we're very cognizant that many different groups are hesitant uh, in getting the vaccination or, you know, there's a, a lot of false information, unfortunately, out there, um, you know, about masks and vaccines and, you know, uh, and, and all of that. But, you know, first and foremost, we have to make sure that we continue the message that we need to get as many Canadians as possible vaccinated if we're going to beat this COVID. I mean, the truth of the matter is COVID is here to stay. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard many researchers say, you know, uh, it, it's it's going to be with us. We may need booster shots. It may be like the flu. And unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation. So I don't think that it's a key platform uh, issue, but I don't think that uh, uh, we have to stop reminding all Canadians that, you know, we need to do what needs to be done, not only to protect ourselves, but more importantly, to protect others. Uh, for myself, like I said, my father's 90 years old. I can't afford not being doubly vaccinated and, and or people who are visiting him. I, you know, he's at home in his residence. And that was a cognizant decision on us and our family. We didn't want to put him in a, you know, residence. And, and I'm glad we didn't. First of all, it's not culturally for many of us sound either. I mean, I, that's not something I wanted for my father. But could you imagine how many other people don't have the opportunity to allow for their seniors, uh, their elderly parents to stay in their homes? Right. So do we want to continue endangering their lives? Uh, do we want to get back to our lives, you know, semi-normal? I don't know what normal will look like again, to be honest with you, but that's my personal opinion. Okay. Um, 
that's all I could say really about that. I don't think it's a, a political um, a platform position, but I think that we owe it to all Canadians to keep giving them the information that they need to make well-informed decisions. Let's talk a little bit about Quebec, since obviously that's the the, the region that you're getting elected in. Um, your party obviously wants to, to to obtain a majority government. I mean, that's what everyone is campaigning for. Um, it was announced from the, the beginning that you want a clear mandate to pursue um, your program. Quebec is once again, I think, going to play a crucial role in determining if whether or not you can get that majority. Uh, and I think that you can't really afford to lose any seats uh, here. Uh, and in fact, I think you need to make certain gains as well in Quebec. Um, what's the game plan here in Quebec, especially considering that the, the Conservatives will be uh, mailing every Quebecer what they call their contract, which you know essentially gives uh, it gives into every single request that the Premier Premier Legault uh, made, uh, while your party is heavily criticized by Quebec politicians, especially for overstepping your jurisdictions with you know new announcements that you know that were made recently for what they believe are done for electoral purposes. We're talking about, you know, hiring more doctors, um, hiring more support personnel in long-term care facilities and, you know, assuring that they get $25 minimum uh, in, in terms of their wage, uh, affordable daycare services, uh, all these things that have to do with uh, with provincial jurisdiction. Um, what's, the, what's the game plan for Quebec? Well, listen, Quebecers uh, know and they recognize how hard the federal government has been working to make sure that they have the supports that they need. We will continue to do that, George. We have great conversations. The prime minister has been having conversations. His cabinet ministers on all these various portfolios that you just mentioned have been having great weekly conversations with their counterparts on the provincial side. Um, We announced $6 billion uh, being transferred over the next Five years to the province of Quebec to help them with the, uh, you know, child care. I mean, Quebec is, is, is a great role model for, you know, uh, affordable daycare. I mean, a, a lot of the other programs, the program that we're saying for across Canada is being modeled after the Quebec model. So well, that was very welcomed by Premier Legault. Um, it was welcomed primarily also because he got that money with without any conditions. So, I mean, I know that they came out yesterday and announced 9,000 spots. I mean, this is provincial, so I, I don't expect you to comment on it, but you know, we know that we need 50,000 spots because that's what the waiting lists are. So we need to fix that kind of yesterday. The $6 mm-hmm. billion that was sent by the federal government was sent without any conditions. So we don't know if, if, uh, if indeed that money will serve uh, for the daycares. We don't know. I mean, it, it, many think that it was just a blank check that you just sent over to Quebec. Um, at the same time, just to go back to the, um, to the health industry, uh, you're announcing more, uh, 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 hiring more doctors. Like people are wondering, and especially, and this is, this came out yesterday with Quebec's opposition politicians wondering how can the liberal party of Canada make these announcements when they're not really able to do any of it, uh, in our jurisdiction, uh, well, we, we, we're announcing programs that Canadians have told us over the last, you know, uh, 19 months and, and since 2015, th- that is what they expect their governments to be supporting them with. Uh, you know, we all saw what happened with long-term care during COVID. I mean, if anything, COVID was able to demonstrate to, demonstrate to us uh, the cracks 
in the various systems. Uh, you know, in the House of Commons, both the Conservatives and the Bloc Québécois were always asking for more transfers into the health uh, system. Well, here we go. You know, we're starting to show that we heard the message. Yes, there's a, a need for more money uh, in the health sector, and that is what we are doing. So, you know, when the federal government is in conversations uh, with their counterparts in the provinces, and, and especially with the province of Quebec, I'd like to believe that, you know, in good faith, uh, that the money that is being transferred by the federal government to the province of Quebec will be spent where it's geared to. Uh, and, you know, that, you know, we need to continue the dialogue. We need to uh, understand one another. And I truly believe that the prime minister and uh, the health minister uh, and the Quebec uh, province, the government is doing just that. I mean, you know, this time uh, in the election in 2019, the relationship between the province of Quebec, the government, which was, again, Premier Legault, uh, was a little bit different. This time around, I, I think that we can all see that the relationship has matured. And I think we've all learned through that experience. And I would like to think that the money that is being transferred and being announced as part of our uh, program and our platform is going to be spent where it's supposed to be spent. Right. Um, I know that well, you said that you were uh, that you sat in the finance committee. Uh, many find that your party isn't talking much about the economy. Uh, there isn't much information out there yet. I know it's something probably maybe coming in the next couple of days uh, uh, in the in the in the campaign. Um, so, I mean, we have we have record breaking deficits. Uh, record-breaking national debt. Our, our central bank announced last week an inflation rate of, you know, the 3.7%. They're projecting it to climb to 3.9 by the end of the third quarter. Uh, I'm not so sure that we can safely say that things are going well economically right now. Uh, and to add fuel to the fire, Justin Trudeau stated last week that, you know, the last thing on his mind was caring about monetary policy, heavily criticized uh, on that. Uh, a lot of analysts think that that was a huge blunder that caused you know that gap that you had uh in, a, in advance to the conservative parties was caused to um uh to, to drop significantly um at the same time since 2015 um our finance ministers haven't haven't been able to project uh the, the zero deficit meanwhile your uh, the parliamentary budget officer uh in a in a recent report he stated that we shouldn't be expecting balanced books before 2070 um, is there anything that you can share on on the plan to get our public finances back in order? Well, I know that that is top of mind as well, George. I mean, obviously, you know, our, our deputy prime minister and our finance minister uh, is very cognizant of the fact and uh, of the spending. And, uh, you know, but we decided as a party and as a government that uh, the the real issue, the most urgent issue right now, especially in the COVID pandemic area where everything shut down, this was not the time to go into austerity. This was the time to spend and make sure that all Canadians were kept safe, secure. Uh, they had money to put food on the table and they had, you know, a, a roof over their head. This was not the time uh, to, to look at how we were going to slash programs and not spend. This was the time to give the support to all Canadians. The Canadian government, uh, thankfully, we're a so sovereign nation and we're responsible for our own monetary policy. Uh, of all the G7 countries, we have the healthiest uh, balance sheet. Uh, you know, the economy is at 99% of where it 
it was pre-COVID. Uh, and oftentimes when I have this conversation with people, the economy is coming back and roaring strong. The economy is going to take care of all of those uh, lapses. Uh, the inflationary uh, period that you mentioned, that's only temporary. We've had the Bank of Canada, the governor, you know, the governor of the Bank of Canada on. We had, you know, people from the OECD analysts who look at, you know, Canada was one of the countries. In fact, that was a, a witness that I had reached out to and said, you know, would you like, would you be able to come and be a witness on the finance committee and talk to us a little bit about how Canada has performed and how we've handled the COVID uh, crisis and, and where we are economically. So, you know, we've been given top marks, George. We continue to have AAA bond ratings. You know, we haven't lost our bond rating. That is crucial for a country because that shows, you know, we can go out and borrow money at preferential interest rates. Um, the amount of money that we're paying now to, to cover interest payments is much lower than it was pre-COVID because we're able to borrow at a much le lesser rate. So my message to Canadians is, Yes, keep the eye, and I know our government is keeping their eye on the ball for the, the debt and the deficit, but now is not the time for a country like ours with a strong economy um, to, to, to be looking at you know, programs to be slashed. Where are you going to slash from? There are people that still haven't gone back to work. A lot of people are saying, oh, small businesses, you know, every time they see me, they complain, oh, you know, the government did a great job, but look, we can't find workers. And this is mostly in the restaurant, you know, service industry. Well, I can tell you, George, you know, uh, my family comes from a, a restaurant business background. Uh, I grew up in the restaurant business. My father owned a business in Vimy. Um, I could remember way back in 77 and 80 where people were complaining they couldn't find wor workers. The truth of the matter is in, in small businesses and in restaurants, they had that issue already. So for the few that are still on the CRB collecting $300, I would like to think that the ones that are there are the, that are still collecting it are people who really need it and not people taking advantage of a system as, you know, much of the criticism is that we've, we're we giving out money so people can remain lazy and stay home. I don't think that that's the case at all. And and if it is, it's a very small percentage and we shouldn't paint everybody with the same brush. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the situation in Eastern Mediterranean. I mean, we're both of Greek origin. I know that you were following those developments quite closely. Where does Canada stand with, you know, the issue in that part of the world? I, I mean, there's there's been very little coming from Justin Trudeau and from foreign ministers, uh, Champagne before and now uh, Marc Garneau. Uh, and, and for the people listening or watching that, that, that are perhaps unaware, uh, we're talking about a conflict in the region of Artsakh uh, between Azerbaijan and Armenia, where we discovered that there was Canadian um, uh, imagery technology found on Turkish drones. Uh Everyone thought that Canada was respecting an arms embargo with Turkey. Finally, we realized that there was an exemption on that sort of technology. And even with that exemption, it wasn't supposed to leave Turkey. Meanwhile, it was used in that conflict only later to find out that Canada backtracked on that exemption, canceled it after all the, you know, the bloodshed over there. Um, we're talking about Turkey's attempt uh, to flood Europe through Greece with Islamist militia uh, coming out of Syria. Uh, we're talking about Turkey's, you know, multiple violations of Greek airspace and territorial waters. Uh, we're talking about, you know, very recently, uh, Turkey's unilateral decision to open the, the Cypriot region of Varosha, despite the fact that that's 
forbidden under United Nations Security Council resolutions. Um, and, you know, now we find out that there's a permanent drone base that will be developed in that region, which, in addition to threatening Cyprus and Greece, of course, can also potentially threaten mid, uh, countries in the Middle East and North Africa, like Israel, Egypt and Libya. Um I know last week Reuters was reporting uh, that Turkey has now taken over Kabul uh, airport and, you know, they're planning on negotiating with the Taliban regime uh, to maintain the security and control of that airport. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't think I know of any other country that has control of another sovereign nation's airport. Uh, first time I hear that. Um, so where do we stand? Do you think amongst your colleagues, uh, there's any comprehension on how delicate that region has become and how easily uh, it could get destabilized, even you know, with the slightest escalation? Great question. And I wish I was the, the Minister of uh, Global Affairs and, and, and would be able to give you, uh, you know, firsthand information as to what our policy is or what our, all I can tell you is, uh, yes, being an MP of Hellenic origin, uh, I'm very sensitive to those issues. Uh, we also discussed it uh, recently. I was one of the three lucky Canadians that was able to travel to Greece uh, mm -hmm. at, um, you know, at the uh, Hellenic Interparliamentarian Association. Uh, and uh, Turkey is an issue. And Turkey is an issue for the allies. And I know that there are ongoing conversations amongst Canada and its allies. Uh, I think you can appreciate that, you know, Canada doesn't have the, the defense power, if you will, uh, or resources that someone like the U.S. has. So obviously, you know, the U.S., uh, it's easier for them to be outspoken and, and take a position and say we're against that because they're in a very different uh, situation. Uh, yeah, I also find it. I also find it's a matter of principle as well. Despite the fact yeah. that our, our 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 defense isn't anything equal to the U.S., uh, a lot of the statements that I saw coming out of Canada, whether it was Justin Trudeau or the foreign ministers that have covered that period, you know, whether it was Mr. Champagne or Mr. Garneau, now it's all along the lines of. You know, Turkey is a key partner. Um, uh, it's a NATO uh, ally, and we have to maintain the relationships. It's always along those lines, rather than you know putting our foot down and establishing what is the right thing to do and what is the wrong thing that has been happening. And I agree with you, George. And and some of the comments that uh, I myself what uh, voiced time and time again was, yes, they're allies. I'm not so sure how. Uh, what kind of a NATO ally uh, Turkey is, given its position and, and, and you know, always trying to destabilize uh, the region. Uh, and, but at some point, you have to be on the right side of history. And I have to tell you, you know, there were, um, you know, when it, you know, just to circle back to the drones and, and the Artak issue, I remember personally having a conversation with Minister Champagne and uh, telling him, you know, uh, Minister, uh, you have to really look into that because, it, you know, if the suspicions are correct that, uh, you know, Canadian uh, made lenses are in those drones and they caused harm to civilians, then we need to really look at that and see whether we should be making more exemptions. And he told me that before that exemption was made, there was nine months. It, it took them nine months to do their due diligence and to do, but you know what? At the end of the day, we don't know what Turkey is going to be doing with it. I mean, we did what we had to do. Um, 
when we were looking at whether to give the exemption or not. The fact that it wound up doing harm is very regrettable for me. And, and I voice that opinion as well. But, um, you know, George, it's not always easy. You know, you think you're doing the right thing and then, you know, something bad comes, uh, unfortunately. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up. I, I know that you have a campaign to get back to. Yeah, thank uh, you. <laughs> talk to me about Vimy. What's happening on the ground? What are some challenges that need to be addressed? Uh, you know, should you win again uh, on September the twentieth? Uh, you know, any 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 words you want to share with your constituents? Sure, I've been uh, doing a lot of work, uh, great work actually, for uh, you know uh, income inequality and disadvantaged youth. Um, unfortunately, uh, Vimy is a riding that struggles with high levels of income inequality and disadvantaged youth, um, and this uh, obviously became even more apparent during the COVID nineteen. Um, you know, uh, I was visiting some uh, uh, centers last week actually, and they told me that in all of Quebec. Vimy is the most disadvantaged area. It's uh, the area or the uh, riding with the most uh, newly uh, like immig immigrants and refugees. So obviously their needs are very different. The average income in Vimy is 54,000. Uh, whereas if you look at neighboring, uh, you know, ridings in Laval, it's upwards of 70. So there's, there's a huge disadvantage. So I'm doing a lot of work uh, for, um, you know, the disadvantaged, uh, I did a lot of work. I was able to secure um, monies for uh, uh, women's uh, shelters that are in Vimy. Uh, just two shelters alone received $4.7 million to, to go forward with their uh, phase two. These are, you know, home um, shelters that I don't even know their addresses. That's how secretive they are. So those are some of the things that I've been working on. I have a lot of seniors, so I've been working hard, making sure that seniors have what they need, uh, you know, um, small businesses. You know, Vimy is the heart of Laval. You know, there's, um, I have industrial, I have biotech, I have, you know, retail, uh, a lot of small businesses, um, marginalized, very diverse. So I've been trying to reach out to all the various communities and, and make sure that I'm there and that I, you know, try to make my voice really strong in the caucus and to the ministers and make sure that, you know, they're going to have the supports that they need to continue doing the good work. There's a lot of not-for-profit organizations in Vimy that, that work really, really well with the youth and the seniors and young families. So, um, you know, doing what all MPs do, you know, uh, trying to uh, deliver the message and say, listen, I'm here, I'm listening, um, give me your idea so I can take them back to, you know, Ottawa, hopefully for a second mandate and continue the good work. I received great comments so far, uh, especially for my team in the constituency office. Um, so I'm there to serve, George, you know, in the best way that I can. And hopefully I'll be given a second mandate. Fantastic. Annie, thanks again for coming on. Good luck with the rest of the campaign. Uh, maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe I'll be running into you. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, why not? It will be a pleasure. Let's keep in touch. All right, Annie. Take care. Good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.